Good morning. Good morning. Um, are we on, coming through okay? Can you hear me at the back? Big wave from the back. One person, Jane, thank you so much for waving at me. <laughs> Guys, great to be with you. As Phil said, my name's Steve, and it's my privilege this morning to be uh, concluding our summer series where we've been talking about Christian history makers. And uh, we've been having fun, hey? It's been great, like really inspiring, and we've been looking at uh, some of the people who have been almost heroes of the faith and who have kind of shaped the world through their passion for Jesus. And uh, just as the last uh, few weeks, what I've also put together is a little bit of a uh, kind of sheet um, where if there are kids amongst us, you might be really eager to, uh, to grab hold of them. So maybe Carol, Wendy, would you mind distributing them for me? And just to say, given it is the last of the summer weeks, if, you, uh, if you've filled it in, if you've managed to complete your uh, word search, if you've colored in those images, that are there, bring them down and show Carol at the end of the meeting, and there'll be some sweets for you as well, if you filled them in, okay? So you've got motivation there. Now, today, what we are going to be speaking about is a guy who, for me, really encapsulates what it means when uh, Jesus told his followers to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. How many people here have heard of General William Booth? Many people, many people. Well, you know, I've been having so much fun this last little while, just kind of wrestling with and exploring this incredible man. And I'm really trusting that God's going to speak to us today because um, in his journey to uh, launch and found the Salvation Army, what I've been understanding is that his life really demonstrates and can demonstrate for something that when a guy is truly submitted to God, what we're going to see is that God can use anybody for his glory. And what I've been praying is that God would get hold of us today with a real urgency for mission and a real compassion for the poor who are all around. And so allow your faith to be stirred as we scratch the surface of this incredible man. Now, I'm going to need a helper, though, right at the start of this message. Okay? And uh, ideally, I'd actually like a 13-year-old helper. Is anybody 13 right here? You are not 13, by the way. Um, 15, are, you 13, are you 13, Kaya? Kaya, come and stand with me for a moment. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, Kaya, come and stand up here on this uh, platform alongside me. So, you see, because where our story begins is with William Booth as a 13-year-old. Now, he was born in April of 1829. Okay? Which wouldn't make you very old just now, but you're 13, you've got to imagine you're back, 1829, and your father was, a, in theory, a, a, a businessman, pretty successful at one stage. But what happened when you were 13 is that his father made some terrible decisions, lost all of his money, to the point where William here was no longer allowed to go to school. And uh, you know, to the point where, sadly, it was the case that William was sent off to, into work, even at that young and early age, and uh, to work for, actually for a pawnbroker. Now, what happened was that even a year later, when William's dad died, there was no opportunity then, and uh, he and his mom moved to a very poor part of town, and um, what happened was that because of the fact they couldn't afford anything, they had to live in a very, uh, not only a poor part of town, but they were really struggling for food. And William, even at the age of just 13, same age as Kaya, got an immediate glimpse of what it was like to be really the end of yourself when it comes to not having any monetary things. And you know, working long hours, he witnessed this incredible poverty from the ground up. And what was interesting, and what I've been feeling like God's spoken to me about is this. As you get a glimpse just now of what William Booth's life was like, you've got to know that actually academic achievements do not define you. 
Okay? He did not go to school. He was not educated. He did not go to university. And yet God used this man for phenomenal things. And so whilst their great study is brilliant, what it's not going to do is it doesn't have to limit your calling in God. That's a word for someone here today. So at the age of just 15, okay, you stumble into a church, and uh, it's a, a Methodist church, and William became a Christian. Great news, hey? Great news. And um, although, although many people who became a Christian on the back of William's ministry here, um, actually his own conversion wasn't particularly dramatic. You know, he was in a meeting not dissimilar to this, and he felt like uh, God convicted him of sin and invited him into a relationship, and so he repented and he committed his life to Jesus. And so the story starts here. Kaya, I need a microphone, please. We need you to read your first quote, if you don't mind. Grab that. My conversion made me, in a moment, a preacher of the gospel, a saved apprentice lad who only wanted to spread through all the earth abroad the fame of our saviour. Fantastic. Now sit down just for one moment. I'm going to have you back up in a second. Hold that for me, Phil. In a moment, William's life was changed. He knew that he had been called not just to, not just to be a Christian, but to share what it means to be a Christian, to actually share with the world. This is what he was captivated by. And so even though he was very young, he actually was captivated by the desire to speak about him, to share about Jesus, and he became a preacher. And he couldn't stop uh, speaking about him so much that he decided that he wanted to preach in the open air as well. And so every opportunity he got, he would stand on top of a barrel in the middle of the street and preach to anybody who was listening. And he became famous because of this kind of zeal inside of him, this incredible passion that people got hold of. In fact, there was one friend who said this of him. He said, he was the most earnest and enthusiastic man I ever knew. He was really burning, really on fire to save souls. And he used to say that we were saved to save. He could not stand people who said their souls were saved and who did nothing to save other people. Provoking as that may seem, it actually, he wasn't particularly uh, thought of fondly within the local churches. In actual fact, they gave him an awful lot of criticism there. And he even said to him, any of the people who, who get saved on the streets where you are, in and around the kind of down and outs and the drunkards, if they really need to ch- get, come to church, what they'll have to do is they'll have to come into one of the side entrances. And they're going to have to sit in a certain place because we don't really want them interacting with the rest of the church, which so infuriated William. But he said, but he said, in the midst of the frustration, in the midst of the difficulty, he said this. Go for it. Um, I was given plenty of caution, but never a word of encouragement. But I went forward all the same. He went forward all the same. Thank you so much. He went forward all the same. Despite, despite the frustration, despite the difficulty, despite even the churches putting roadblocks around him, he went forward all the same. And then at just 19, William headed for London to find work, and there he met his wife, a lady called Catherine Mumford, and they began to work together, and he began increasingly to work outside and and preach outside, and eventually, because of his refusal to, to stop preaching outside, he was even expelled from the church that he was part of. And he continued ministering until he was um, an an adult in his 30s. And this was when one of the biggest opportunities he got to come and speak in another context. He was invited over to Cornwall, 
Like someone said, hey, would you do some evangelistic um, messages for us? We'll set up a tent and we'll invite people to come and hear. And the thing about William Booth is that he never stepped away from, he never shied away from the reality of the gospel. The reality and the wonder of the fact that there is new life in Jesus and there is forgiveness from sin. And every opportunity he had, he would preach it and he would preach it hard so that everybody should know that actually it's Jesus who saves. So he was invited to this meeting in Cornwall. It's 1861. And he preached his heart out. He preached so hard. But you know, at the end of the meeting, when he invited people to step forward and respond to Jesus, not a single person stepped forward. Following night, he preached hard. He went again. He said, I'm going to do everything that I best I can. He invited people to respond to Jesus. Not a single person stepped forward. Third night, not a single person stepped forward. Fourth night, preached the gospel as hard as he could. And one old lady first was the one to break down and just come before him and give herself to our great God and Savior. Do you know that was the first of hundreds of people that actually became a part of an 18-month crusade in Cornwall where they had thousands of people make a response to Jesus. A guy called Harold Begmy describes it like this. He says, villagers tramped over the hills, fishermen rowed eight and ten miles across a dark sea to the towns where William Booth was preaching. The local newspapers record that in some places business was at a standstill Conversions were made in the hundreds. Scenes occurred beyond description, and the cries and groans were enough to melt a heart of stone. It's detailed that over 7,000 people in that 18-month period made a response to Jesus because of William Booth's persistence. He has this incredible, then, heart for the poor. If you like, William Booth is one of those people who, who just demonstrated what it is to be a Christian with your sleeves rolled up. Because back in London, William was coming home after preaching a Christmas message. And uh, he'd, he'd preached in this particular church and he was walking home. And then he, he saw so many unwashed, unkept people digging through bins, drunk in the streets. And when he got back to his church, I got back to his home, excuse me, and spoke to his wife, Kaya. He said this, now before you do it, you're going to have to be a bit more William Booth-like. So stand up here. It's time for the big black beard. Okay, they're going to have to clip around your ear. Can we do that? Okay, Carol, jump up. We need to help Kai get bearded for a moment. And then I think we should go a little bit further, don't we? Outstanding. So he's walked back from, the, from preaching in a Christmas meeting. He's got what he's just got home and he says, I'll never have a Christmas day like this again. So getting on his feet, he was walking up and down like a caged lion. He told of the sights that he had seen that morning and indignantly he said, The poor have nothing but the public house. Sit down for one moment. Keep your beard on if you don't mind. <laughs> The poor have nothing but the public house. He was so shaken. Do you know, in this church, we ask sometimes a question. What is God saying to you and what is God, what are you going to do about it? Right here was William Booth's moment of God starting to speak to him. And you know, the next Christmas, true to his word, he and his family went out distributing plum pudding in the slums of London. William Booth had unashamedly active in his Christian ministry. 
ministry. And you know what's interesting is this. You see, he decided that he wasn't just going to lobby other people. He wasn't going to get in touch with other leaders or those in government to, to sort out the problem. He was willing to roll his sleeves up and himself do something about the problems that he saw. And it was from this inspiration that he realized his destiny in God. He realized that actually he was called for a purpose. And so he started a mission. That's what he called it. And it was called the East London Christian Revival Mission. And later it became known as the Salvation Army. Now their motto, motto was this. It was blood and fire. Blood and fire. That's what their motto was. The blood of Christ poured out for us and the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit to change us. Now, the Salvation Army then, as he gathered people, would literally march into the poorest, toughest, roughest towns in the whole of England. They proclaimed the gospel, feeding and helping the poor, and they saw many prostitutes, criminals, and alcoholics converted as they shared. Now, what's interesting, though, is that they uh, came up against a huge amount of opposition, not least from the pub owners, because people had stopped drinking. So their whole business would affect it. And so they would come out against, they would come out against the things that William was speaking. They experienced possibly some of the worst violence that Christians had ever seen in England. And they were bombarded with all sorts of things. They were bombarded with, with stones. They were bombarded at times with, with hot rocks. They were, they were bombarded, I'm sorry, with mud. They were... They were at times, they were bombarded with dead cats. Seriously, horrendous. And I'm sorry to say, at times they were even had bo bottles of urine thrown at them. I wouldn't do that, okay. It's, it's actually orange juice, you're right. Um, but they had this intense persecution, like everything around them, said that people seemed to be attacking them, but they would not cease. They would not cease. They continued to pursue what they felt like God had called them to. In response, they simply showed love. But they didn't stop. They wouldn't stop. Not satisfied, you see, with just doing church in their own building. They decided that they wanted to go to the people. They wanted to go to the people who really needed the message. Now, by 1870, upwards of 5,000 people had joined William in the Salvation Army. 2,000 sometimes coming to their main meetings. Quite an astonishing thing. And what he did was he encouraged every single person to say, come and join me. Come and join the army. What I'm looking for are godly, go-ahead daredevils. That was what his phrase was. I want godly, go-ahead daredevils. And it was at this point that he started inviting people to use military language. He even said things like, um, we're going to take siege operations against the devil. And uh, what happened is that the different individuals would call themselves lieutenant who were in the Salvation Army. They would call themselves officers. And this was when William Booth began to be known as the general. Now, this was an army, but not of weapons and force. This was an army of love and of compassion. And it was at this time, actually, when uh, the Salvation Army started to use the brass instruments, you know, the, the kind of shaking and the kind of playing and the kind of booming. And... Um, the reason they actually started using them is because what they realized is that if they came with a big brass band, it would entertain the people who came to throw rats at them. And so they would play the music, and they would listen to the music rather than wanting to try and disrupt the meeting. But you know, he even went further than that because he knew he wanted to go to any length he could to speak the life of God into people's lives. And so they started utilizing the pub songs 
and turn them into Christian worship songs and hymns. So there was one, for example, that says, here's the good old whiskey, knock it down, knock it down. And then they rewrote it to say, storm the forts of darkness, bring them down, bring them down. He knew that if people knew the melodies, and they would start singing the songs and started engaging with the truth of what he was doing. And this was when Booth famously said this very line, William. Why should the devil have all the best tunes? Why should the devil have all the tunes? Stay here for one moment. And you know, in the midst of this, other Christians continue to doubt and hesitate about, wonder, why are you doing some of these things? And a guy called Rudyard Kipling once said to him how much he disliked and despised those who played the tambourine. And Booth said this. Young man, if I thought I could win one more soul for Christ by standing on my head and beating a tambourine with my feet, I would learn how to do it. Standing on his head and beating a tambourine with his feet. Do you want to give it a go? Or? Maybe not. All right, sit down. Go on, grab a seat, grab a seat, grab a seat. He would do anything, whatever it takes. I just want to. I just want to win somebody for Christ because that is the main purpose of his life. Now, Booth's army followed this example. They said they would do anything to try and gather people to some of these meetings. And so they would put, distribute huge posters and flyers and media declaring, come drunk or sober. <laughs> One guy uh, would take a dinner bell from a school and he would just bang it through the streets until people thought, what on earth is that noise? And he'd move them to the meeting. Some people would go out bashing pans with rolling pins. One guy hired a, a billboard as big as a three-story building to try and get his message out. One guy, one officer, said he, he couldn't get anyone's attention. So what he did was, during a week in the winter, he lay every evening for the entire evening in complete silence in the snow. At the end of the week, so many people were intrigued about what on earth is the guy doing there that he stood up, shared the gospel. <laughs> and then my favorite, my favorite was an officer who they put into a coffin and they carried him all over town until he had a crowd big enough. He jumped up out of the coffin and preached about the resurrection, which I thought was brilliant. Which I thought was brilliant. Now, William, William led this army with the remit that every single person who becomes a Christian is saved to save and saved to serve. That was his remit. And despite the abuse that they were under, they fought for good in every area and every way that they could. Fought for social justice. They fought against sex trafficking. They reformed working conditions in factories. They cared for the physical needs of the poor. The mental needs of the uneducated, the spiritual needs of the masses, and the most basic needs of even the abandoned children. They set up soup kitchens, helping prostitutes going in and out of hospitals to support those who are sick. Homes for the elderly children, the blind, addicts, the homeless, and set up clinics and legal support for those who had none. It is a quite phenomenal thing. And you know, this week, as much as I do many times, this week at F4, it's been just giving me the opportunity to thank God for all that he's done through the King's Arms Project. And you know, actually, the hands and feet of this church for such a long time in some of these areas has been through that ministry. And I just wonder whether you would join with me and just give me a huge round of applause to those who actually serve in that respect. You know, you know for 25 years, the King's Arms Project has been serving the homeless in this town. But you know what I believe and what prophetically God has spoken to us about 
to us about is many, many more ministries coming out of this church and actually still shaping, changing, transforming this town and many other towns. You know, this uneducated young man from a very poor part of Nottingham died in 1912. But during his lifetime, he helped establish the Salvation Army in 58 countries. It's estimated that he traveled around 5 million miles to serve those in need, and he preached thousands of sermons around the world. And when asked, when asked, what was the secret of his life, Nakaya, so that you don't have to um, tell a bit off, let's just hold this one on, come join me. By this point, he's a very old man. You got it? Excellent, all right. I'll hold your microphone for you. What is the secret to William Booth's life? He said this. I will tell you the secret. God has had, it all there, has had all there was of me. The secret. Thank you, Kaya. Give her a round of applause, please. I'll tell you the secret. Listen to the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, Men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught the vision of all Jesus Christ could do with them, on that day, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because he has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Let me just finish with this. Just over 100 years ago, 1912, uh, William Booth entered the Royal Albert Hall to do his final um, preach, to do his final message. It was a packed building, 7,000 odd people there. And at this point, William Booth was actually a very old man. One eye didn't work at all, the other eye was, eye was fading. And um, his final words of that final message, for me, really kind of summed up the essence of his life and his mission and his vision perfectly. It said this, while women weep, as they do, I'll fight. While children go hungry, as they do, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a poor, lost girl upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight, I'll fight, till the very end. You know, that verse that I made reference to right at the start of this meeting, William Booth took seriously Jesus' command. Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The question that I want to leave with us today to ponder, to chew on, to reflect with, is will you fight? Listen to what William Booth said. Listen to what God is asking. Will we fight to show the love of God to those around us, no matter what resistance that we get? Will we fight to persevere even when we aren't given the encouragement that we think we have, even from people closest to us? Will we fight to share the gospel no matter what is thrown at us, figuratively or literally? Will we fight to demonstrate God's love as he's called us to do? Will we fight to love the poor, 
and the needy on our doorstep. We fight for our friends, for our neighbors, for our family, for our town. Will we give him all of us?